the true impact of Christ in a person's life is intended not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. The impact is called the awakened life. Stay tuned to this message to discover how to live the awakened life. Today I'm talking about with you the hidden blessing of true worship. I want to ask you this question, are you a worshiper? Are you genuinely a worshiper? If you'll take your Bible now and turn with me. Now, here it is. It's going to be different than what it says on the screen. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Now, some of you go ahead and look in your index and you'll find it. If you, be, you found 2 Samuel, you'll just go, go over 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles. But it's 1 Chronicles chapter 13. The Chronicles are simply this. The Chronicles give us the chronicle stories of the kings of Israel. And so we're going to see in a moment how that David leads us to understand in a greater way authentic worship. But I, but I want to say this to you today. Everybody worships. Did you hear what I just said? I'm going to say it even farther as you look on the screen. Every human being on the face of the earth engages in worship every day. Now, before you agree with that or disagree with that, I want to read to you a verse of Scripture from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 28 that says this, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God, now listen to this, acceptable worship with reverence and fear. I believe this, this is where I'm hanging my hat today, that awakened believers are authentic worshipers. But now, before we really get farther into that, I think that I need to define for you worship. There's actually two definitions of worship that are predominant in our world today. The first is one given by Webster's. Notice this. Webster says this, worship is expression of praise, of thanksgiving, or adoration to a person or to a thing. How many of you have gone to many graduations this, this, this coming year? I've gone to quite a few. I've stood at every one of them, and I gave praise and thanks that, that they made it and that they did so well, and I was so excited for that. I mean, there's so many things in this life that, if you, that you find yourself engaged in, and you might not even realize it, that you're worshiping. But now in the Bible, the word is entirely different. Notice this. Here it is as it comes on the screen for you. Worship is the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy, here it is, character of who? God. This morning, every song that we sang has been pointing us to the character of who God is. It's been pointing us so that, that we could come into this odd place of who God is. I want to tell you that everybody on the face of the earth is a worshiper in one form or another. Either we worship according to Webster or we worship according to the Word. Let me put it a different way. Either we worship according to a secular view or to a saved view. Today, I want to place this before you, and I believe this with all my heart, that the Scripture teaches us that as the world comes to its climax and to its end, Worship is at the heart of it. Jesus Christ commanded us in his word to be worshipers, but he gives us a choice, doesn't he? Satan, on the opposite, commands us to worship him, and he comes at us in every way that he can to get us to worship. When you read in the book of Revelation during the time of the seal judgments, you find this, that, that Satan is being worshipped, and, and when these judgments begin, the people refuse to worship God. Now, here's the thought. If, you, if, you, if you're following me, you'll get this thought. Look at it as it comes before you. Hey, listen to this. Our world is coming apart because people are worshiping the wrong God. 
Now you let that sink in for a moment. Our world is coming apart because people are worshiping the wrong God. Psalm 33 and 12 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We have so many gods in our nation today. They're dead gods, but they're, they're listening to me. They, they are the puppets of Satan himself. You say, Keith, why in the world are we here today? I thought we're studying the life of David. We are. But this is where David comes to. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, it tells us that, that after David had centralized his leadership, remember we saw that last week, how to get over discouragement. We talked about how you can walk down the path and how the prayer is essential to you and how the understanding God is essential and walking with him. So the first thing that David did after that he centralized the leadership was said this, we need to worship. One of our six core values is that, that we believe in authentic Christian worship. And so, so I'm telling you, that is how important worship is. And here's what the scripture says, 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 1. David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel as well as the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands that they may be gathered to us. Now here it is. Then let us bring again the ark of God to us for we did not seek it or him in the days of Saul. Three things just to think and lay before your heart is that helps us to walk through. One is this, David longed for his nation to worship God. Here's the question. Do you as an authentic worshiper, if you are, what is, are the things that you long for other people to do? What are the things that you give yourself to so that they can do those things? Some people in the world that are committed to, to worship, and it would shock you if God revealed to us what we and who we really worship. But David was centered on this one thing, that he wanted his nation to worship the Lord. Now, here's some background information. If you, if you, if you read the commentary book that I wrote about this, I spent time in telling you that, that 70 years earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines were against the people of God. They were defeating the people of God. Eli was the, was the leader. He was the high priest, and his sons were wicked. And so the children of Israel decided that they thought as a whim that they would take the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was the place. It was the mobile tent. It went with them from the days of Moses in Exodus 40. It went with them wherever they would go. They had a mobile worship center. Now, it was not like a tent that you and I would take a 10 by 10 at the lake or, or we would take to the beach. I mean, it was the most magnificent tent the world has ever known. And the Levites had the responsibility of carrying and providing, and the priests served in it. And there was this place called the Ark of the Covenant, where that the presence of God, for some reason God chose in the Old Testament that he would meet with them, not as we meet today, that our bodies, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, we, when we come to know Christ, we become the temple of God. And where two or three are gathered together, Matthew tells us this, that he is in our midst. But it was different in that day. And so they would come and they would gather in the tabernacle. The tabernacle had several different places. There was, there was the, the outside that would become in the days of, of Jesus, the, the court of the Gentiles. And then there was a court of the women. And then there was the holy place where they would offer daily sacrifices. And then there was the inner place where once a year, just one time a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies. 
He's saying, I don't understand all of this. It's hard to understand. But David, listen to me, had a heart to restore what had been taken away. And so they took the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 4, thinking that God would be with them, but he was not. The Philistines overran them, and they took the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you need to lean into this. Literally, the Ark of the Covenant, God had promised them. I did some research. John Woodhouse in his commentary said this, the Ark represented not only his presence, but his covenant with the people. So wherever God was, and he said, I'll meet with you here, for them it represented his presence. It also represented this. It represented, listen to me, his payment for their sin. Once a year, the, the mercy seat, as Martin Luther said, the mercy seat of God was there. And once a year, he'd the, pour the blood over, reminding them that central location, there was one place that they were to gather in his presence. Now listen to this to remember his payment for their sins. Are you tracking this? And then the Ark of the Covenant as well, listen to me, reminded the people that God is enthroned, that he is king and he is eternal. That's why the seraphim, the cherubim, the angel that they, they made were put right there on the top of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. So when they would come to this place, they'd be reminded of his presence. They'd be reminded of his payment. And they'd be reminded, now here it is, his person of who he was. America today is in the shape that she's in because the church has lost their heart for authentic worship. I'm telling you, I'm serving a church that five of the six core values, we are doing well, but we are not doing well here. You say, Pastor, I don't understand why you say this. Because here's why. Because the church, listen to me, is the place today that God wants us to come. But since COVID-2019 came, since COVID came to us in this world, people are more and more, they are less and less in church because they don't see the value of it. We will go on any trip anywhere, not even taking in consideration that, that the place that we should meet with God, that that's going to be hindered. And so we'll go and I, we should vacate. I want you to vacate and have vacation. You should have that time of rest. Everybody needs to have that time of rest, but not 35 out of 52 weeks a year. Not half the time. Because, friend, listen to me. For them, they, they knew this, that this was the place. But not only that, this was the place when they, they would come before him and he was with them. And so in the days of Eli, the Bible says that it was gone from their presence. And then we know that the Scripture says that God judged the Philistines, and so they brought it back, but they didn't know or have anywhere to put it because they were all over the board. And so they put it in, in, a priest, in a priest's home for 20 years. So where has worship been in your life for the last 20 years? Authentic worship. We've gone through the worship wars in other churches, but not here. They went through the worship wars and what was going on, what, what, what should be our style. And I don't find that anywhere in the Scripture. I find that throughout Scripture, they focus on the truth and not on the trend. They focus not on whether it's a hymn book or the screen. They, they, didn't, get, they didn't get hung up on that. They, they focus on the truth. And so, but there's something amazing that I think that, that we need to see back in verse 3 when it, when it said this, Then let us bring in the ark of God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. 
Now listen, Swindoll says this, that in the days of Saul, because of his wickedness, worship was no longer really important. It became mediocre. And so I'm going to tell you this, in the last few years, the American church has driven us to a place and the leaders who have led us in the past and some now have led us, listen, to an emotional an event like at a concert instead of a worship service when we gather before God to truly worship him. But you see, the leaders would only do these things because they figured this out. They've got to do what it does to get a crowd, and they've got to do that to keep it going. And so we focus on trends, but true worship leaders like our worship pastor and the one before him and some before that as well. I'm going to tell you this. Our leaders today help us as a team. We want to focus on the truth of who God is so that when we gather together. So David did this. He said, I want my nation to know the real God. Because under Saul's leadership, no one really cared about each other. No one really cared about the worship of God. They, they were wicked in every way. But when, when David came and centralized it, David said one thing, God, I want the nation to know you. So who is this God that we say we come to worship? Could you now write an expose? Could you, could you do a thesis? Could you, could you write nine pages just sitting before God who he is? Some of you could. And some of you maybe are, but, but just in case today I may have one or two that, that doesn't know who he is, I'm going to read a passive scripture from Colossians chapter 1 that tells us who he is. Listen to these words, Colossians 1, 13 and following. He, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has delivered us from, listen to this, and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who is this God? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or dominions or rulers or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him. Now here it is, church, for him. It's not my party. It's not your party. It's not my name over the door. It is his name. And I want to tell you, he's worthy. And he is before all things. And in him are all things held together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. That he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him he reconciles to himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven. And he makes peace by the blood of his cross. There's no way that the, that the Congress and the president can come together except for one way, the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only one way that your children can be saved and the world can be redeemed. It is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the church quits, quits singing and worshiping God, we don't even know who he is. But I'm telling you today that you're in a church that has a heart. And many people that have a heart to lean in and to grow who, the, who they are. Here's what the Bible says in verse 4. All the assembly agreed to do so for the things were right in the eyes of all the people. Second Samuel 6 says they get 30,000 people. Now, can you imagine 30,000 people? They go nine miles from Jerusalem. They go nine miles from Jerusalem, and they go to this place, and the Scripture says, notice this, so David assembled them, all of Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lodomaroth, and they bring the ark of God, and David and all Israel went to Baalath, that is Kerthjerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, which sits enthroned above the cherub. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, that's the Levite. His two sons, Yusa and Eli, were driving the cart. 
And David and all Israel, here it is, were celebrating before the God with all their what? Their mind. Where's your best praise reserved for? Where, is it, where do you give your best praise? Do you even know how? You said, preacher, I just don't like this. If we're going to reach America, we've got to come back to a heart that longs for our nation to worship God. And so there they were in that moment, and the Scripture says, and they came to the threshing floor of Chadon, and Yuza put out his hand to take hold of the, of the ark for the ox stumbled. They, they had taken a new card, and they'd made that the best that they could make, and they put the ark of the covenant on. And as they were going, these two men leading it, and they hit a hole in the road, I don't know, or they hit a bump in the road. Maybe it was a speed bump lane, I don't know. They hit a bump, and, and, and the cart kind of moved to the side. So the ark shifted, and this man, and his, and his grace and his kindness, he just reached out, and he touched it. And the scripture says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. My friend, what in the world happened? What in the world happened? What in the world happened? R.C. Sproul says in his commentary that here was a man who thought that his hand was less polluted than the dirt of the earth. Now, friend, think about this. You and I have surrendered our life to Christ, if you have and if I have. So we come to, to worship and we think that we can come as we want to come and, and just come and, and sing the songs that, that we've paid our brother to lead us in and we've paid the preacher to preach. And so, so we've come and we are worthy. But the problem was this, that, that God had never said they could come and touch him. For God is holy, and God had said this in the book of Numbers. He had said to them that, that when you move from one place to the other with my presence, that you are to take two poles and that the Levites alone are to carry it, and you are to cover the entire ark, and may no one look at it. Do I sometimes take for granted Sunday? And how that my, my brother spends many hours during the week preparing so that I could have the privilege of hearing about God? to worship him and to serve him, that in our preschool ministry that they prepare, in our children's ministry they prepare, and students and everywhere else they, they prepare. Friend, if you're a teacher in this room, don't you sell God short by coming in on a Saturday night and studying for Sunday. Listen to me. Give him your all so that when you're called to stand before him, you're so much in it with him that it just overflows. So that the Bible says that they, they, he reached out and touched it, and God said, that's it, and you're gone. You see, at the very beginning of establishing worship, listen to me, one writer said it this way, God wanted them to know who he was. And I believe there's coming a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They will be reminded of who he is. He said, Keith, what was the real problem? Look up this way, friend. I love you in the Lord. You know I do. They made God common. They made God common. So who is God to you? Is he common? Is he ordinary? Is, you see, we've, we've, got, we've got too many books being written, including mine, too, 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 too many songs that are just being, being thrown together, and it has not just been in this generation. Half of the hymn books in, that have been published through the years are, are man's opinions and the common thoughts of man that have bypassed God. And I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying this, that we've made God common. 
But David in that moment did not know how to, how to respond to it. The scripture says, and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. Now remember back in 2 Samuel 5, he had shouted to the Lord because against the Philistines and against the people in Jerusalem, God had broken through. But now the God who'd broken through is broken out. In fact, is that he is ju showing judgment in this moment. Now stay with me here. The scripture says this, and David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with him for three months. Now watch this where God's presence was, God's blessings are. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now think about this. These people in that moment had worshipped God in the way that they had wanted and not the way that God required. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, For although there are many so-called gods in the world, as indeed there are many, yet for us there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, and whom are all things and through whom we exist. Listen, for 20 years God had been not central, and David was trying to make him central, but he was going to have to grow in his understanding of who God is. For these past two years in my life, they, they have been for me personally, I can just honestly tell you, or maybe now three years from my life, it's been a complete change in my worship. It's been a complete change in the way that I've worked. It's been a complete change in the way that I've been searching for God. And there have been days, I want to tell you, that, that I was, felt like I was so far away from God. But I kept searching and I kept looking. And today I want to tell you this. I'm reading, every week I'm reading the Word of God more than I have ever have. I'm reading people that have died a long time ago more than I ever have in my life. I'm reading systematic theology. I'm reading practical. I'm reading wherever that I, I'm watching online. You say, you're God crazy. I'm trying to worship. Because if I'm going to reach this world, they're going to know the Lord. Now, if today you feel no conviction in what you've heard, if you've arrived where you need to be, I want to tell you this day, just, just leave the service and do no investigation and just keep doing what you're doing if you just feel you're out where you're supposed to be. If you're out where you're supposed to be with God, just keep on doing what you do. I say this with all my heart. Just keep on doing what you do. If you're where you want to be and you feel that's okay with you and you're, there's a blessing in your life and, and you're okay with that, but if you're like I was two and a half years ago, I was upset with myself and I couldn't understand why that even though we go all over the world and we do and we are going to introduce teams to you in a few moments, locally, nationally, and globally, even though we do all that, I was miserable. And I confess to you as your pastor today, there are still moments when I'm miserable. Because in those moments, I feel like there's just something of God, Brother Rick, I have not captured. You know that with me. You know I'm telling the truth. There's moments that I just have not captured it, and I keep wanting to know, God, what is it that I'm missing with you, God? Because I, I feel like if I'm going to reach, reach the students and the children, if I'm going to reach our, our collegiate and our young adults and going to meet the medium, and all, I need to know more of God because the answers today that they're asking questions about are bigger than my finite mind. My grandson sitting in the back of our car was asking about creation, how it got here. He was asking questions about death, wasn't he, honey? I, and, and Sherry, I was just sitting there for Sherry. That I didn't even look at her because I was driving, and she's trying to, well, well, Colt, the Bible says. And at the, every, every question, Lane followed up with another, guess what, question, and another question, and another question, and another question. And I can hear my dad back in the day say, keep just believing, shut up. 
But Sherry didn't do that. She pointed him directly to the God who understands it all. You see, God has positioned you in the world that if you will just do this, if you will just grow in your understanding of who God is. Men, let me say this to you. You can read the Bible. If you're saved, men in this, we are desperate for men, but we don't need men empty of the word who'll just come and say, Miss Lisa, show me what to do. You can't teach that. But if you're with God, and so what David did after three months, David gathered together the leaders, the Levites. We see it in chapter 15 for just a moment longer. We're almost through. And he gathered them together in verse 2, and he said to them in verse 3, and assemble all Israel to bring up the ark of the Lord, which you be prepared to do. And he gathered them together. Look down in verse 12, and he said to them, you are the heads of the fathers, chapter 15, verse 12. You're the heads of the fathers, Levi. Consecrate yourselves and your brothers so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it because you did not carry it the first time. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. He also gathered in that moment. He gathered the people to sing in, in verse 16, and they, they raised sounds of joy. They took six steps, according to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Six steps, and they stopped. And you know what they did? They worshiped, and they offered a sacrifice before God. David's like, Michael, I'm not going to get it wrong this time. I want to tell you, we've got one more window, I believe, in our lifetime. I know in my lifetime, I've got one more window, and I want to get it right. I want to get it right and make sure that, that we build a church that's focused on our core values, that we are the church that the word is central, the living word and the written word. We want to build a church that worship is what we are about, that we want to build a church that prayer is our central communication with God. We want to build a church where that family is the main place where that, that we do mission. And so when I'm home, I'm teaching my family about the presence of God, about the person of God, about his payment for my life and about about that we are the people of God because you see today dear friend the place of worship is not at the ark of the covenant it is where people who have been born again the bible says we were bought with a price therefore here it is glorify God with your life and so David gathered them together and they came and they danced with all of their hearts so I want to ask you this wow when was the last time that you expressed to him your worship? The last time that you truly just said, God, you're worthy of it all. See, there's one crazy other thing, and I'm trying to get done with this thing that I want to tell you about David. David would end up encountering someone who did not worship the true God. You say, what do you mean? David would encounter someone. He, as he was coming back, his wife, his first wife, who was the daughter of Saul, saw him worshiping. And Lane, here's what she said. You undignified man. Now, I don't know if it ever hurts you or not to, to worship. I had someone come to me one time and say, not here in another church. Why would you raise your hand? That offends me. Now, I, I, I mean, I, I really did. I, I couldn't understand it. And, 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 and listen, when David, 2 Samuel gives us the greater detail that, that when, when David came into the house after blessing all of Israel, they had this great party, gave everybody bread, and they, they all worshiped God. But when they, when they came, 
He came into the house. His, his first wife was waiting for him. And listen to me, she had the spirit of Saul, not the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you this today. David was humble before the Lord, even though it was beneath her dignity. How many people consider it in this house today, you consider it undignified to lift a hand of praise and to sing a song of Jesus? It's undignified. But it's amazing to me. I'm, I'm going to offend you. Don't intend to. But we'll bark like a dog or buzz like a bee when a pig skin is kicked. We will go to secular concerts and shout. We will dance and we'll carry on and pay the biggest amount that we can. It doesn't matter to us. But on Sunday, we come to the Lord's house and we, we have drunk the night off the night before and the gods of self, but not us. For you see, in my house, people laugh at me. You know why I go to bed early on Saturday night? Because I want to give my best praise to the Lord. I want to have some energy left. I want to be able, when I come, to give to you my best praise and not to hinder it by my slothfulness or my laziness or by my lack of not being worshipful before God. That's my heart. Sure, I'll tell you that. And for these, soon this, this week will be 31 years for us. For 31 years on Saturday night, we've, all, we've not gone very often anywhere because it has been our heart. Because I want you as a believer to know this God. You see, listen to me. Listen, you're going to meet people that, that don't understand worship. But I want to just tell you, you got to love them anyway. Just keep worshiping God. Some of you have spouses that don't know the Lord. And they're, they're like, why do you go to church? Because I'm going to worship my king. Why do you give? Because I'm going to worship my king. Why, why is it that you only play Christian music and these other things? Because only my king deserves my worship. You say, Pastor, I, 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 want, to, I want to get this. Well, I'll just say this to you in conclusion. True worship begins when you come into a position of belief. When you believe who he is, everything changes. It begins to, I wrote this down, it begins to blossom in your life. If you think today that I've been trying to stir you up to make you wave your hand in the service, you've missed it all. If you think that I want you to be the shouter in the service, you've missed it all. I just want you to be an authentic worshiper. Thank you for joining us for the Awaken Life series. For more information about this series or to receive the companion book, you can reach out to us at info at jacksonfbc.com. May God richly bless you as you live the awakened life.